to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Hi, everyone. I thought to do something new for this episode. Let's play a game. Fact or fiction? Ready? Question number one. Medical marijuana is safer than non-medical or recreational marijuana. Fact or fiction? I'll say it again. Medical marijuana is safer than non-medical or recreational marijuana. What do you think? Fact or fiction? The answer is fiction. Medical marijuana is not safer than non-medical marijuana. Medical and recreational marijuana come from the same exact plant. In a study from the University of California, Davis, the researchers bought marijuana from 20 licensed legal dispensaries in the area and tested them for contaminants. All 20, 100% of the legal dispensaries had various contaminants such as E. coli, salmonella, aspergillus, and more. JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, did a study testing 75 different THC marijuana products for accuracy in their labeling. And they found that only 17% of the labels were correct and accurate as far as potency. So you really don't know what you're buying. How did you do? Ready for another question? Okay. Question number two, medical marijuana is recommended for pain. What do you think? Fact or fiction, is medical marijuana recommended for pain? The answer is fiction. Medical marijuana is not recommended for pain. It is true that most people who use marijuana medically say it's for their pain, a subjective finding, However, scientific studies have found that marijuana, the plant with 500 different plus chemicals, does not help with most types of pain. The single study quoted by the cannabis industry to promote marijuana for pain was published by Whiting in 2015. They looked at 28 different studies for a total of 2,454 patients. And they found that the group that used cannabis had a 37% pain reduction compared to the control that didn't use cannabis that had a 31% reduction in pain. That's not a big number, just 6% difference. And what the cannabis industry does not tell you about the study is that most people who it helped had neuropathic pain. The kind of pain diabetics get from their legs and the neurons not working right, not chronic back pain or headache. In fact, studies that tested people after giving them pain, such as a burn, showed that marijuana was not helpful. The other part of the study showing that marijuana is helpful for neuropathic pain that is not reported is that people who used cannabis for pain had much more bad side effects compared to the control group that didn't use cannabis. 
and some of those side effects were very serious. It is irresponsible to recommend a, quote, medicine without considering side effects. Heck, people are afraid of COVID vaccine because of the very rare side effects. In large studies, with 34,653 patients, marijuana was found to increase the risk of using non-medical prescription opioids and developing opiate use disorder. In another very large study, with 57,147 people, medical marijuana users, quote, medical, were found more likely to use prescription drugs medically and non-medically. All right, last one. Are you ready for another question? True or false, marijuana helps with seizures. Are you acing these questions? True or false, marijuana helps with seizures. The answer is, once again, false. Hey, there's a pattern in these questions. Marijuana does not help seizures. As a matter of fact, it can make seizures worse. It's a great frustration as an emergency physician to see patients repeatedly back in the emergency department with seizures, and they think that they need their marijuana to help with their seizures, and it's not helping. It's making things worse. One of the 500 different chemicals in the marijuana plant, CBD, does help treat a very rare seizure disorder in small children called Dravet syndrome, or Lennox-Gaston syndrome. These babies are not smoking dope. They are prescribed pure CBD oil that is available by prescription as Epidiolex. People who suffer from seizures should not be using marijuana. It could be making their seizures worse. So how'd you do on this quiz? I bet you guys did well because you are all superstars and you've been listening to High Truths. And so with that introduction, let's listen to our High Truths question. Thank you, High Truths. My name is Alyssa O'Hare, and I am the project director for the Pacific Southwest Prevention Technology Transfer Center, or PTTC. We are located at CASAT at the University of Nevada, Reno. SAMHSA funds PTTCs to strengthen the substance misuse prevention workforce. The Pacific Southwest PTTC serves HHS Region 9, which includes Arizona, California, Hawaii, Nevada, and the six U.S.-affiliated Pacific Islands. Some states and jurisdictions in our region have legalized cannabis use for adults age 21 and older. With an increasing number of states and jurisdictions legalizing cannabis for adult use, youth and young adults have easier access to a variety of cannabis products and are receiving more messages that cannabis use is not harmful. We know from years of research that both of these factors correlate with an increase in use among youth over time. So my question is, have we lost the cannabis legalization war or just a few battles? And what can local level prevention practitioners do now to make sure our youth and young adults avoid this harmful substance? Thank you, Alyssa, and thank you for providing state-of-the-art education to your prevention professionals. I greatly appreciate you inviting me to present to PTTC Region 9. You challenged me to do a new presentation that I titled Pain and Pot that included five reasons not to use cannabis for pain based on the medical literature. And to answer your question, I have a high-truths expert that is a national and international expert 
on marijuana policy, Dr. Kevin Sabet. Dr. Kevin Sabet is an author, consultant, and served at the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, ONDCP, under three U.S. presidents. He was my inspiration for wanting to serve at ONDCP. Kevin is president and CEO of SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, a nonprofit organization founded with Congressman Patrick Kennedy and David Frum. His new book, Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know, is a bestseller. Kevin Sabet, welcome to High Truths. Dr. Love, thanks so much for having me and thanks for those kind words. Well, it's really a delight to have you uh, on the podcast with us. You are a rock star that I've followed at different conferences until I finally caught you and you needed a ride to the airport and I jumped on that. That was so fun. (laughs) That was. I jumped on the opportunity um, and it's been absolutely wonderful ever since. Me too. Thanks so much. And you're you're very sweet, very generous. I I love the the challah bread and the other things you've sent us and for Lua and it's very nice of you. Thank you. Well, of course. And um, so, Kevin, you've been involved in the issue of drug prevention as a kid with CADCA, Community Anti-Drug Coalition of America. Mm -hmm. You served Mm -hmm. at the White House for several administrations. And when you left, you could have done absolutely anything (laughs) you wanted to do, anything. And of all the things in the world to choose from, you picked marijuana. Why why is that? (laughs) I, I must be a masochist of some sort, uh, I think, to get involved in this. You know, the, the reason uh, I've always been interested in public policy and writing, um, I got involved in drug policy as a teenager, even before CADCA, there was a, a local um, group in my county that uh, was sort of a pre-CADCA group, you know, sort of before they existed. And um, it really lit a, lit a spark in me, but I didn't think it'd be a profession. It was something I did after school, um, you know, maybe it would help me get into a good college. Um, I enjoyed it. I met friends there. I had one of my one of my best friends there at Huntington Beach High School uh, was there while I was in Anaheim Hills. And I, you know, I, I, um, it was just a fun thing. I loved giving back. We used to have holiday parties for drug exposed children and and mothers in, in recovery from uh, mainly at that time from crack addiction. And um, you know, it was just very rewarding as a kid. I, I would go to Trader Joe's market, a supermarket. And, Back then, it was pretty much only in California, I think, and you know, uh, convinced the manager to give us free frozen fruits and different things for our holiday parties, so we can make mocktails. Now, it was a fun thing; I enjoyed it as a kid. Uh, but um, you know, it it became a profession, I guess, when my activism at Berkeley uh, got some attention, and you know, the rest is history. Uh, why marijuana, to be honest, there's a, there's a simple answer for that. It's just no one else was doing it that I saw. I mean, you have volunteer groups that were doing some good work I'd been involved in for years, but I did not see a well-funded uh, movement that was around messages people could get behind that wasn't just preaching to the choir, that was trying to get new people to think about this issue in the way that I was thinking about it. Uh, and that's why that's why I did it. That's why I did it with Patrick as well to make sure to have you know uh, a voice from from the left david from from the right myself nonpartisan all of us together um to really get the message out and and that's that's why we did it, it did, honestly it was just it, it was it was a need it was the elephant in the room that nobody wanted to talk about so we, we took it on i think it's still the elephant in the room <laughs> i do too um and so Alyssa O'Hare, um, who's the project director at PTTC, has a question, and you're the perfect person to answer it. Did we lose the war on legalization or just 
the battle? You know, um, it's hard to know. I, I I have gotten out of the prediction business and politics ever since the 2016 presidential election. I think it taught us not to predict anything. Uh, but what, what I can say is it, it almost doesn't matter. And that is a weird answer coming from me, maybe people would think. But I, the reason I say it doesn't matter is, you know, whether this state legalizes, that state legalizes, whether the country legalizes and how, Obviously, those are important questions, but for the work we do, which is about saving lives, preventing addiction, preventing heartache, um, you know, promoting recovery, that has to go on regardless of what winds are blowing. Um, now, if winds are blowing a certain way, as they are now, and I'm the first one to admit that it's been a very tough battle in many places, although footnote to that is we've defeated legalization in more states than we've lost, especially even this year when, when we lost a lot of big states like New York and New Jersey. But that aside, regardless of where the winds are blowing, we have to do our work of prevention and promoting recovery. Uh, if, if we didn't do that, why would we have any work on tobacco going on? You could just say, well, it's legal. There's nothing we can do. No, of course not. It I took us 100 years, right? Well, it took us yeah. 100 years. Um, but that makes us more relevant. So frankly, I say, bring it on. You want to bring on legalization? I think it's a mistake. It'll make our job harder. It will hurt more people. But if that's the decision society makes, we're in a democratic society. I, I get it. And if that's the decision, I think, which I think is a mistake that we're going to, that we're going to take as a society, we're going to have to pay for the consequences, but we were going to have to work so much harder. We have to be there twice as long, not half as long, not half as much, if that makes sense. So that's why I say it almost doesn't matter. I absolutely agree with you. I'm not upset about legalization. I mean, I live in California. Yeah. Marijuana was declared an essential public service during the pandemic. And that got me more business in the emergency department, treating marijuana poisonings every day. So, you know, whether it's legal or isn't legal, people are going to be using. So I'm not you know, the energy that I feel like I need to put as a physician yeah. is about education yeah. and, and not like, oh, we lost the legalization battle or, yes. or, or not. So yes, is, absolutely. Is Sam about, is not promoting prohibition or are there, mm -hmm. is that well, one I, of the things? You know, that word is, is just, what does it mean? I mean, it's, it's like alcohol prohibition. It's, that's the word used. I, I say that what we're trying to do is prevent addiction, prevent heartache and promote hope, promote recovery and stop this massively growing industry from bamboozling society the same way big tobacco and big alcohol, frankly, and big pharma. If you look at opioids, you could look, you could right. put that in, in that case, uh, has done. And so, you know, again, it's not, now from a policy point of view, we're not saying we should lock people up and throw them in prison and, and criminalize individual users. We're not saying that at all. We're actually saying, um, you know, we should uh, remove criminal penalties. I don't want to see people go to prison and jail. And then they're, they're usually not, although there are some places in the U.S. and not in California, not in places I've lived, to be honest, but there are some places that, you know, especially if you're on a probation or parole violation. But beyond that, there, there are some places where that could get you into some trouble. Um, we want to reform those laws, and we've actually championed reform in many states. Uh, but, but we don't think that in order to reform laws, you have to legalize and commercialize today's high-potency THC, which is up to 99.9% you know, .9 potent. I, I just saw the winner of the marijuana contest. I'm going I'm to show you here. 
um, in in Colorado and to see what uh, you know what kind of stuff that they're actually promoting these days. It has nothing to do with marijuana. I mean, if anybody in the U.S. could, I mean, even you, Doctor Love, if if I showed you this picture and you deal with wh- the first thing you think of would not be marijuana. I don't think. What is that? I can't see. Is that a flower? It, it looks like a crystal. It's like a it's like a crystal here. It's um, uh-huh. golden goat platinum FSE marijuana extract, flash frozen. So it's a flash frozen extract that looks like uh, an ice cube or a Swarovski crystal. Okay. Nobody would think that's marijuana. We're dealing with a completely different drug today. And we really have to understand that. So it's about raising awareness about that as well. And and I think that that's very important. What are, when you're talking about arguments and you're, you're a, a great debater, what are the best arguments that the people who want to legalize use? What is it? Criminalization, social justice, medicine, health? Well, I mean, there's best according to polls. There's best in, according to like uh, my opinion. I'll say from a polling perspective, although I think this is, to be honest, asinine. I just think this is like completely just not right but when you when you know they, listen we're here where we are in legalization the reason california legalized in other states isn't because people just woke up one morning and said oh we went from just say no to now i want to toke up every day overnight no this is a sustained campaign for 50 years poll tested messages billionaires contributing that's what i talk about in my book smokescreen you know what's behind this how did we get here and um a lot of how we got here is poll tested messages. So around the late nineties or sorry, around the mid nineties, um, the marijuana movement was in disarray. You know, they, they were on the cusp of legalizing marijuana in the late 1970s at a time when regular marijuana use was skyrocketing. We had a president that, you know, since changed his mind and has become a friend of mine, uh, president Carter, who, who in the seventies was in favor, his own drug czar was caught doing cocaine at a party for normal. I mean, that's, that's the environment we were living in. I mean, can you imagine Dr. Love, you know, it's like if you were caught at the MPP party doing drugs, I mean, it's a totally different era. And I did, I I was born in in the very last year of the seventies. So I didn't live through the seventies. I heard it was pretty wild decade, but essentially this is what was going on. And they were on the cusp of legalizing then for a lot of reasons, which I won't go into now, unless you want me to later, um, we did a total 180 as a country when it came to all drugs, including marijuana. So the marijuana movement was in disarray. They said, wait a minute, how can we get back? We're, We're like, tripping up. We have a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, who's actually harder on marijuana than Bush. You know, it's like they were completely out of it. Then they said, ah, wait a minute. We just polled a brand new message. One of those messages that worked was something called medical marijuana. We are going to invent that term. It's not going to go through the FDA. We have no legitimate medical associations agreeing with us, but it doesn't matter. We put a cancer patient or an AIDS patient on TV and we're, we're golden. And they were right. So they changed the permission structure that Americans had about this drug. It gave us permission to be okay with marijuana because it was going to be medicine. Then that went on for a little bit. And they said, okay, now we have to pivot to legalization because they've always said, well, this isn't about legalization, even though, of course, it was. They always said, no, 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 it, it wasn't. So they pivoted. How did they do that? They started with arguments, for example, like it's safer than alcohol. Alcohol is legal. So why wouldn't marijuana be? That's a inconsistency in society. Let's make it consistent. That was a, the, one of the biggest, the best arguments they had. Um, then they had other arguments about, um, you know, the war on drugs has failed. 
which 80% of Americans agreed on, but only 20% agreed with legalization. So it was kind of a weird, it was like the war on drugs have failed, but legalization, they weren't there yet. So we have to bring them along there. We have to say war on drugs has failed and let's, you know, change our laws and medical marijuana and other things that kind of tugged people along until they were where they are now, which is about the majority of Americans agreeing with legalization. Although the polling, I don't fully agree with the polling on first, again, we can talk about that later. So again, safer than alcohol, alcohol is legal, probably the number one argument along with medical that changed people's attitudes towards this. Wow. And so you talk about polling, you know, to push uh, marijuana. Um, Have we done polling for the harms, um, you know, yeah. the medical effects, the environment, or even social injustice. Yeah, we have, um, and and you know, it's hard because there's there's been a few polls kind of all over the place, but more or less, we see arguments, for example, on drugged driving really are salient. So people, you know, they 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 see marijuana as really only affecting the individual unless you really remind them that it can affect other people negatively. And one way to remind them is with an activity they do every day, which is drive. So driving is a very salient um, one. Um, You know, the ones about the harms are difficult. I got to be honest with you, because most Americans have not, you know, most Americans have tried marijuana a few times and that's it. And their experience wasn't negative. It was neutral. Basically, they were just it didn't really they didn't love it. They didn't hate it. They did it a few times. It was a thing in college and they were there over it. They didn't experience an eight point IQ loss, which is what Madeline Meyer showed in her studies. They didn't experience a five fold increase in risk of psychosis, which is what Marta DeForti and Robin Murray showed. They didn't uh, they didn't experience. So they didn't experience a lot of this stuff. And so they don't believe it. And that is tough because, you know, you know, ironically, the reason they believe alcohol is harmful is because it's everywhere. And they know an alcoholic because it's everywhere. Alcohol is ubiquitous, right? And so ironically, it's like you have to make something more ubiquitous for people to understand the harm, unless it's something sort of distant and mysterious like heroin or methamphetamine that just like is scary. Marijuana, they've experienced it. Not that scary. They don't think it's a problem. So the polling on the harms is difficult, very difficult. Um, Messaging about slow down, let's not take the risk, you know, not saying it's a total disaster, but also saying, uh, we're not sure we're going to, we may regret this. Those are also good messages. Yeah. I like the high potency stuff and psychosis. Is that, that's not, you know, the potency stuff works well, the potency stuff works well because people can understand that, you know, the marijuana they smoked in college, which didn't do much for them, that's not marijuana today. The marijuana is completely different. So they kind of get that. I think that's good. You know, the harms, I mean, I, I talk about the harms regardless, because I just think it's the right thing to do. I don't care if it doesn't poll well, but it's not the top, top polling kind of thing. Um, one of the best ads we've ever done that did well was an ad of a dog eating an edible, saying that dogs go to the ER. That almost did better than saying your kid is going to go to the ER, which shows you our well, priorities about pets and I, children. I think I'm not surprised is if you think about what people pay for their pets, <laughs> they won't pay the for themselves. They go. Yes. Yeah, no, but they'll do anything for their pet, no, um, <laughs> but they won't, they won't, you know, you know, pay $20 for their medicine right. <laughs> for themselves. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. So Kevin, congratulations on your, your books, 
smoke screen about to, you know, is a bestseller in different Thank places you. in, you. in your journey to do that. Did anything surprise you? I mean, you've been dealing with this for years, but in your, in your research, is there, is there mm. some person or some story, some aspect of marijuana that surprised even you? Uh, as a lot writing. of my books surprised me as somebody who's been following this issue for 20 some years. I, I was still surprised at, for example, when the gentleman toker from DC, who what is who is he? His name is Joe Tierney. And he's in the book as someone who was the guru of marijuana for Washington, DC, does tours, all kinds of things. Um, the fact that the vaping crisis, which was our pandemic before the global pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. the fact that that well, a, it was an epidemic, right? Epidemic, epidemic is epidemic, local pandemic, pandemic is the yeah, whole epidemic. Yeah. 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 No epidemic in the United States. Yes, absolutely. The epidemic before the, the global pandemic, um, that really surprised me that someone that deep into this could see the harms from that. And he decided not to be involved anymore. And I interviewed him. I talk about it in the book. Um, some of the stories of kids who got marijuana from a doctor surprised me. I have some stories of children younger than nine years old who have been exposed and continue to be exposed by, you know, to marijuana, not the use of marijuana, but exposed to the industry um, and the environmental harms for them. The third, third hand smoke, you could call it third hand harms that they're, mm -hmm. that they are incurring from their own parents. That surprised me that an own that their a parent would expose them and thinks that it's so innocuous and so good for you um what happened I, to their children well i don't want to give it all away because i want people to buy the book but there you uh, go I, well i, I mean but, but, but basically it's it's a very sad story it's how i opened the book uh, about these two children in uh an, an upper state in the country who um you know are just exposed to this and then the other one that surprised me was I have a whole chapter interviewing a drug dealer who essentially said that business is booming. It's great. She loves legalization. She's in a legal state. She loves it. She's able to, you know, operate without problems or questions. She's um, the demand is off the charts. She can undercut the legal price that the government sells marijuana for. She doesn't have to ask for ID so she can sell it to anybody who can't get it on the, from the legal market. It's great for her. Um, and I knew that it was good for dealers because I know that the underground market has survived. I mean, California is a exhibit A to, of that. But hearing it from her was really fascinating. I tried to make this a book of stories and more of a narrative, although I have 350 some odd citations because I knew that if I didn't do that, I'd be, you know, killed um, by the by the, the press and the pro side saying there's no citations. But basically, um, uh, uh, it, it, it's not meant to just be a book of facts because I've written that, you know, I wrote, my first book was called Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. And, and for it's Reefer, a great book. <laughs> thank you. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> but for Reefer Sanity, my thought process of writing that was I left the Obama administration and I had so much I wanted to, so many myths I wanted to, that I had heard traveling around the country that I wanted to, um, debunk. And so I wrote that as fast as I could the minute I left the Obama administration, you know, sort of quickly um, check notes. Obviously, it took a long time to get published because the book industry is, you know, 
we can have a whole, I think you should have a whole podcast on the book industry <laughs> and how crazy it is. Um, but um, basically it took me, but, but, but I wrote that quickly and I, I it wasn't perfect. I, I even saw there were some problems in the later edition I had to correct, but it didn't matter. I wanted it out there as fast as possible. And um, because I wanted it as a platform to get out there and, and the facts were there. This book was very different. This book was almost written slowly and almost accidentally, if I can say over time. This was people approaching me three or four years ago from different states saying, I've lived legalization. One person said, I was an owner of a lab in the largest state that's legalized and I have stories to tell you, these kinds of things. And I, and I just, I didn't have the intention to write a book when they told me this, I just listened. And then I later said, whoa, wait a minute, I now have so many stories um, it's not the way I'm used to writing. I'm used to writing about facts and I, you know, my PhD dissertation is 120,000 words. I mean, that's, you know, with cites, you know, citations up the wazoo. That's what I was used to writing. Um, you know, because we're always called out on the carpet. If we don't have a citation, if we don't reference it, you know, we're just, you know, making it up. And so we've gone to great lengths on our PowerPoints and everything to make sure, but this was different. This was, these were stories. It was a different process. And I felt at the end, this was something really, really special that happened organically, but it was a very different process than, than the first book I wrote. Well, congratulations. I think, you know, people, you. Uh, you know, enjoy hearing in, they like stories and, and what you have to say is important. So really, you know, what, what I say, and, and they'll say the same thing. We want people to be informed about their own judgment but get the facts and, yes. and not just a slanted picture. Exactly. And you are, and this is in your book too, you're, you and Sam, Smart Approaches on Marijuana, are going against a big Goliath, a billion-dollar industry. And, and is, is that how you feel, that, that, that that's what you're doing? I do. I mean, we are enemy number one to this industry that is now, you know, teaming up with big tobacco in a huge way, big alcohol. These are huge heavy hitters that have deep political connections across the number states. one enemy. I think that that's a compliment, right? Because that means you're making, yeah. making a difference. I guess. I mean, when Rolling Stone <laughs> said that, I sort of thought, you know, as a kid, I always wanted to be in Rolling Stone, but not as a <laughs> enemy. I wanted to be in as a rock star, you know, on the cover, you know, with like a microphone and guitar. But here I am on Rolling Stone as the policy enemy on marijuana. Not what I would have predicted. Not that I was a, you know, budding rock star or anything, but I, I would not what I would have enjoyed or thought, um, you know, and I, and I don't love that language. I got to be honest. You know, I was actually I was just interviewed by Rolling Stone. I don't know if they're going to do anything with it, but they they said about the book, they said, you know, you must relish in being the enemy and sort of don't you love being like, you know, sort of hated by a certain group of people. Because, you know, a lot of people do a lot of politicians. That's their M.O. And I got to be honest with you. That's not how I was raised. Um, I don't love it. Um, now, in, in, in one sense, maybe I'm doing something right to because I'm I'm you know, who am I? I'm not you know, I was on a list with the head of the DEA, the drugs are I mean, I, I'm not those people. Who am I? No one knows who I am. So the fact that they wanted to say that I was the number one enemy in some ways is like, OK, well, I guess I'm being noticed. That's good. But on the other hand, it's not something I relish and I don't want to be anybody's enemy. It's not how I grew up. I, I find we can have common ground. Um, you know, but I but I think we're making a horrible historical mistake by allowing marijuana to be so ubiquitous, to be radically promoted and commercialized um, is is something that is we are going to come to regret. I don't, I don't care if it's in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years. 
we are going to go, come and say, wait a minute, I, what, you know, what were they thinking? Uh, and, 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 and not just on legalization, but just on the, you know, acceptance of marijuana. And that's how I really look at this. Right. And given that, you know, people who are pro marijuana and the marijuana business owners are extremely passionate about it, you know, just as much as, as you are about the harms. Yeah. And if you, uh, disagree with them, it's not just friendly. It could be intense hate or violence. Um, do you ever feel threatened by people with opposing views? Uh, yeah, I've been marijuana? threatened a lot. Uh, I've been threatened a lot. And I, you know, now that I have a family, I, I'm, I'm just, I have to, I'm going to, I, well, I have been extra careful, um, you know, and, and sometimes it's been elevated and we've had to deal with that very privately. And it's not something I want to necessarily talk about, but um, you know, it, it's funny the the one question that I've ever been able to stump Nora Volkow, the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, who we all love and know how brilliant she is. She, you know, has the answers to everything. But the one question I stumped her on was, why is it with marijuana, we see people acting like it's their religion? And yet it's less addictive, right? Than methamphetamine and heroin. In other words, it should, it should have a less of a hold on you than those drugs. Yet those drugs, I never see people protesting for their right to use methamphetamine. I, I don't see threats by heroin addicts onto pe people in terms of their belief. Now that's different about, you know, crimes or whatever, but in terms of your belief, I, I don't see that. But with marijuana, it's like you're attacking somebody's inner being, their, their religion, their religion, who they are, their identity, their religion, their identity. And why is that? Because again, we're marijuana is the THC is when you look, give THC to a rat, it's going to be less enticing than if you give, you know, cocaine or, or, or an opiate. And she, right. she the dopamine, like, the dopamine yeah. surge isn't that much. Right. The, so she couldn't the answer, answer I would have is maybe follow me. the money, follow the money. Yeah. And that maybe that would answer the question. Maybe, but I got to tell you, some of these people, you know, they're not part of the activism. They're just using, they just, they, this is their life. It's, it's their religion. Yeah. It's amazing. But why? I mean, I, 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 I still don't know. Why is that a real, like, what's the hold? Is it that good? I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, can something be that good and yet be, not bad for you. I mean, it's like when I used to say, I used to, you know, I asked my mom, why did God make chocolate? Why didn't God make chocolate cake a vegetable? You know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. So I know I, I feel that, I mean, if I talk about opioids and it's very yeah. involved in, you know, the prescription opioid epidemic that I think we don't have anymore. Um, then people would say, Oh, bless you for what you do. Thank you so much. Yes. And if I say something about marijuana, then I'll have people say she needs to be fired. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. And, yeah. and it invokes a really uh, negative emotional response. Yeah. So, um, I get it. And, uh, and I think about you for that. I want to make sure that you're, you're safe, um, well, as you, me. as you advocate. Thank you. Um, and I know also that when we talk, you've expressed that our greatest problem that our nation faces on the issue of drugs is really not just marijuana, but the whole normalization of drug use. Oh, absolutely. So, well, I, I, absolutely. I mean, the problem with a lot of marijuana is happening in the context of other drugs. It's poly drug abuse. Sorry, I, I cut you off. Go on. No, no, I just exactly that. I was going to ask you, where are we with this and where is it going? 
Well, uh, you know, the, the book ends with my predictions about where it's going. And, and part of it is, the, you know, that's no secret, is that I think this is quickly sliding into the legalization of all drugs. Uh, we're now seeing the psychedelic movement uh, as, um, you know, taking a page from marijuana activism. Mm -hmm. And that's scary um, if it follows that because you know, we can have a discussion on the harms of psychedelics, you know, are they not really addictive? It's not really, you know, you could argue maybe not habit forming, but you, you definitely can't dispute the potential danger and safety profile uh, for a lot of people. And so, um, and I'd love to get your take on that, Dr. Lev, or what you think about that. But, um, you know, I just did a debate, um, me and the chair of Columbia Psychiatry, a great guy named Jeffrey Lieberman, we debate, the two of us debated, the guru of, you know, the Timothy Leary of our time, and that's Rick Doblin is his name, uh, who has a, they've gotten $50 million in grants to do research, and they're doing more on psychedelics, and him and his colleague on this, um, because this is becoming more mainstream. So it's going to be psychedelics and the hallucinogens, and it's really then all drugs. And so we, we shouldn't be under some illusion that this is about marijuana. Uh, and they're going to use a lot of the same arguments in terms of, um, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, the, the, you know, social justice or, or we should, you know, this is a, something that should, you know, support, don't punish people, that kind of thing. And I don't want to, by the way, punish people necessarily, necessarily, I, I you know, but I do, I, I do think we need some reform with our, I mean, look, obviously we need some changes to our, how we treat addiction in this country because we well, have, you, you know, 90,000 people. Not, so, yeah. We're not going through this whole issue in a, in a scientific way, in an FDA process way. And, and we really need to learn um, the heart, what happened with tobacco and what happened with opioids. And with opioids, you know, opioids are, 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 are great medicine for a certain population that's been studied and known to be true over time. But what happened in the 80s and early 90s is we said, oh, well, nobody should be in pain. Anybody with the headache or right. back pain, or it doesn't matter what you right. have, and unleashed an epidemic. And we unleashed that based on a study of, you know, 38 patients. Right. Mistake, mistake, right? right? right. Um, because, you know, everything, every medicine, every drug can be helpful or could be a deadly poison, even water. And so to take, um, you know, psychedelics, like maybe, maybe in a small subset of patients in a controlled setting that they're still studying at this point. They haven't even published that data, um, may be helpful. And based on that, 38 patients were saying, hey, now we have websites. You could just, you know, any magic mushrooms, Google it and you could buy it everywhere. That's a mistake. And we, we learned that mistake and the harms of that mistake with opioids. And, and, uh, and, and again, with, you know, medical marijuana, and I don't like to use the word medical because it's an insult to my profession. Um, you know, we took yeah. a lot to get to medical school. And my, I see yeah. my daughters now are both in medical school. They're, they're going through a lot to get through that education. And now, you know, now everybody, every, you know, bud tender is practicing medicine. You know? yep. um, so uh, I think that that's, I do. I think it's a, it's a mistake and it's mistake based on, on science and we're going to suffer the consequences of it. No, I, I do too. Um, and, you know, we're moving forward so quickly on all this. I mean, 
by the way, the psychedelic research isn't that impressive. It's highly no. motivated patients, highly motivated therapists, right. funders right. that want to see results, short-term, right. zero follow-up, very right. controlled setting. And we're saying, you know, 12 people are happier after taking MDMA and they're not having nightmares this week. I mean, that if, if that's right. The and they're not measuring the harms. You you no, cannot just me- ignore. Right. And no. when, even when you're looking at marijuana and people say, oh, well, marijuana can help with all these problems, you know, everything cures cancers and glaucoma and seizures and everything else. Um, first of all, a lot of that's not true. And even if it was, it doesn't yeah. balance with all the harms. Yeah. You don't prescribe a medicine without accounting for the harms. Exactly. And and so I'm worried that we are snowballing down this hill towards all drugs because we have we obviously have a drug problem. We don't deal with drugs great in this country. We've, you know, David Musto, the the historian, uh, was a was an inspiration and a mentor of mine when he was alive. You know, talked about his book was called The American Disease. Um, culture means a lot, and in America, you know, we happen to just imbibe more always than a lot of other cultures, right? We're, we just do. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You could argue our tendency for, you know, sort of extreme freedom or over consumption on things, commercialization. There's a lot of reasons, right? And so um, the fact that we are now moving towards that because we have a drug problem and we think the only way to solve it is to, you know, regulate them that we, so you know what you're getting and this and that. I think is going to be a big problem. And I think we have to be ready for dealing with that. And we have to be at the table to help construct new solutions because there are new solutions. You you have new solutions. Other organizations and smart people have new solutions. There, there are ways. It's not like we don't know, for example, how to, you know, reduce our incarceration population while at the same time keep public safety intact. There are ways to do that. It's not just like let them all out, but there are ways. There are programs, there are strategies that can be brought to scale, things like drug courts, things like hope probation reform, or the other kinds of programs that could be, you know. The problem is we're going to need more and more of all of the above because we're going to have more and more users. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And everyone has a different path to recovery. And I know I couldn't I, I couldn't agree more. We are going to need more than, of all the above. It's a nuanced, it's complex, multifaceted. Exactly, it doesn't, you know, uh, lend itself well to bumper sticker simple solutions like, well, just legalize all drugs and then the market will take care of it. And you know, if you die, you die. But then people will see the arm and you know, let businesses do what they want. Um, I, I just, I, I worry about that. That's where we're going in the name of reform. You know, right? In the name of, we need to change some things. But the only people sitting at the table often saying, okay, let's do X or Y to make change are people that I think have intentions that are about legalizing all drugs and going down that whole path. What do you think the end game is of this? Or is there hope or is it, you know? No, I think there's hope. I think sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. So we've seen that with tobacco. We had to, and we still deal with 400,000 deaths a year. Um, we're still dealing with, you know, huge problems as they relate to tobacco, even though tobacco use is down. But we, we, you know, we, we've suffered through that. That forced us to change. That forced us to look at this industry. That forced us to, you know, ban menthols that forced, and other flavors. That forced us to really look at these things. Um, sometimes it has to get worse, though. Sometimes we have to really say, whoa, we went way overboard and we got to move. And right now we're still moving towards you know, 
complete acceptance and commercialization for, for marijuana. So we're, it, we're not there. It's going to get worse. It's going to move over more. It's getting going to get worse, but my, my problem and one thing I, you know, I wanted to do while ONDCP is just create a dashboard to just measure because you can't fix something uh, or declare something sure. a problem unless you can measure it. And with the sure. opioid epidemic, the opioid prescription epidemic, yeah. I knew that it was going to be short-lived because it's very controlled. We yes. see every prescription that's out yeah, there. You, we you are measuring yeah. every right. death. We, right. you know, it's, it was a it was a, a twenty-year failed experiment um, yeah. that that either we did or didn't l- learn lessons from. But with right. marijuana, we are not measuring. No. The, the consequences like we are with tobacco and alcohol and, and illicit drugs. It's, it's um, we're just not tracking it. And so I think that that, that was a hope that we didn't quite, didn't quite get accomplished. No, no, that's exactly right. I mean, we, um, uh, it's unfortunate. We, we, we are ignoring this issue. We are saying um, that it's basically, you know, not the main issue to deal with, even though, you know, if you're looking at substance abuse for those under 21 and you're going to be, you're not going to be seeing fentanyl, you're not going to be seeing. But you know what? I have not treated a patient with a fentanyl overdose right. that didn't start with marijuana. I have. Well, absolutely. That's one. what I mean. Yeah. hundred percent. I know. And so we're just not, we're just in denial. We're in complete denial mm-hmm. as a society and, and we're going to, sometimes it needs to get worse and it needs people like you and others to raise up that awareness. And Alyssa, uh, who called them with our question, right? And so PCTC, Alyssa, which is great. <laughs> and so she's asking, what can prevention professionals do now to prevent youth and young adults to avoid uh, this harmful substance? What can we? Well, what? they can, they can, they can raise awareness, um, continue to not be bullied um, by the industry or by others who say, you know, don't do this, you know, move along. No. You're, you're dealing with an issue. You're dealing with a health issue. You're not dealing from a, pol- from a political point of view. You're dealing from a, from an awareness, a public health point of view. Keep doing that. Don't let people intimidate and scare. And that's why I'm so happy that PTTC, um, you know, sponsored this. I, I am too. And I really, I just so enjoy working with them because they just bring up to date information and, it's, and, um, and teach uh, on how to treat and do prevention work. Um, so, Kevin, you're as an expert in medical in marijuana policy and organizational development, you gave guidance to a brand new group, a new physician group, Isaac, the International Academy on the Science and Impact of Cannabis. Um, and I'm one of the founding members. And how do you see this new medical organization being most impactful? Well, I love uh, I love what you all are doing with Isaac. I think it's about time, not saying about time because all of you have been doing stuff, but in an organized way that this country hears from the medical profession more forcefully on this because, again, it's the elephant in the room. Everybody is sort of hushing and talking about it, like to people like me, um, but they're not, um, you know, as groups publicly talking about it because it's not where the money is. It's not where the grants are. It's not where a lot of our federal agencies want to be. They want to ignore it. So this is, it's really just so overdue, so needed. I'm so excited about it. I'm really happy about it. Thank you for doing it. Well, thank you. And I hope that we we can uh, make an impact in, in educating uh, yes. in a non-judgmental way, but let people yeah. know um, so they can make informed decisions. We, we have to do that. We need that. We need that. It's, it, it's, it's great. 
And um, and with that, I just really want to thank you, Kevin, for being such a, a role model to everybody oh, who's um, working. Uh, uh, and they seem like they're working alone on, on the issue and bring, you know, informing the public on marijuana. What is your final advice? Uh, and you kind of mentioned to Alyssa O'Hare, who's uh, at PTTC. Stand up, speak out. Don't be afraid. You have science on your side. You have the truth on your side. You have families on your side. You have people and victims who have lived through the horror of this who are counting on you, counting on all of us to raise our voices and are behind you. So you have the courage to speak and um, to make a difference. And I, I know you all do and, and, and you all have it. So it's been a pleasure to be on, Dr. Lev. I, I'm, I'm so happy and grateful for your friendship and, and guidance as well. And um, thank you for doing this. This is great. And I want to also, I want to thank Alyssa. I can't thank you enough for the prevention work and prevention education that you provide. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And your Absolutely. prevention work is critical to our youth and to our country. And I really thank you for inviting me to be part of that. And Kevin, you are an amazing, uh, courageous uh, leader, brilliant, really, um, with a clear vision and ability to navigate federal and local stakeholders, coordinate victims, give effect guidance um, on the issue of marijuana. So I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your guidance you've given me for getting, helping me, you know, get the job at the White House and ONDCP and, and uh, forming the new physician organization and really most of all um, for your friendship. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you so much, Dr. Lowe. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to Pacific Southwest Prevention Technology Transfer Center, PTTC Region 9, is funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The Pacific Southwest PTTC provides technical assistance services for substance misuse prevention. They deliver state-of-the-art culturally relevant expertise that reflects the regional needs. Region 9 is as diverse as it gets and includes Arizona, California, Nevada, Hawaii, American Samoa, the Commonwealth or Northern Mariana Islands, Federated States of Micronesia, Guam, Republic of Marshall Islands, and the Republic of Palau. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us at hightruths.com. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths.